Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro. I cover Miami, the ACC, and college football for The Athletic. He is Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast, South Florida native, former high school quarterback, assistant coach. It is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, around 12.30 p.m. Your Miami Hurricanes are coming off a hard-fought 27-20 loss to the fourth-ranked team in the country, the Florida State Seminoles in Tallahassee. Freshman Emery Williams started quarterback, literally sacrificed his left arm to try and get the Hurricanes a win. Didn't happen. Now Miami comes back home, Carlos. They're 6-4. and four. Tyler Van Dyke is back at quarterback. Uh, they are a one-point underdog this weekend. Uh, with their Saturday noon kickoff against ninth-ranked Louisville, which has the number two leading rusher in the ACC and Jawar Jordan, 12th-ranked scoring defense in the country. Carlos, we'll get to your thoughts on the FSU loss, the Louisville game, what's happening in college football right now. Jimbo Fisher getting fired. Uh, it's recruiting flip season. Kids are flipping schools left and right. The Gators are losing a bunch of recruits. But let's start here. Ken Dorsey has been fired by the Buffalo Bills' offensive coordinator. Explain to me again as he did before we started the show, how Raul went to Buffalo, dipped a bunch of footballs the Bills were using in olive oil because he wanted Dorsey to get fired to come and replace Shannon Dawson. The irony, of course, being Dorsey has a team that's turning over the ball a lot too. Listen, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? And, and Raul knows that it's by any means necessary. He does not care. He was going to go over there and accomplish a mission any way he could. Um, if he had to put illegal substances in Ken Dorsey's bag, uh, put something that'll get him in trouble with TSA if he crosses in with with that in his, his luggage, like maybe eight ounces of water or something like that in his bag, or maybe some lotion that shouldn't be there. He was going to do it. He was going to make it happen. And lo and behold, Dorsey's gone. He's available. And uh, Shannon Dawson's not making a great case for himself to remain in Miami. So fingers crossed, man. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I only started today's episode with Dorsey because obviously Miami fans are obsessed with the idea of saviors. And Dorsey is, uh, it's quite frankly, an obsession unlike few others. He's the last quarterback to win a national title at Miami, the last to play in one, and the second to last quarterback to get drafted. Miami fans somehow always forget that Brad Kaya was the last quarterback to get drafted in 2017. I know that part of that is because Kaya's NFL career included holding clipboards basically for the Lions, Bengals, and Colts, and now he's in film school. But Miami's quarterback dilemma, Carlos, is very much a real issue. That's what I wrote about for The Athletic. I think we can all agree they had one who could complete the majority of his passes to his teammates and not the guys, you know, on the other team or hitting officials in the face. Miami might have won last Saturday's game. They're probably not six and four right now. Uh, but this is Mario Cristobal's dilemma. Maybe it's the bane of his coaching career, really. Uh, he needs a quarterback. He needs a quarterback guru. Uh, it's obvious to anyone with eyes. Uh, Miami's offensive line is better. Their defense is better. He's recruited really well. Um but ultimately, we got two games left in season number two and 22 games into the crystal ball tenure at Miami. We have no clue what is going to happen at quarterback going forward. That's the most important position on the field. You can't win in football without a quarterback. No, and, and somewhere Manny Diaz in Happy Valley is sitting back drinking a scotch, smoking a cigar, saying, I told you all it wasn't easy. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if fans are going to love that one. But you know what? It's it's so strange, man. It's... um. There's let's let's start with a positive. You came off an ass kicking from the year before against this team, when your team was just an utter disaster the season before, right? I mean, they were just doing nothing on offense. They were turning the ball over even more last year, um, and you come into this game and you fight against what is now you know number two, number three, four, top top five team in the country, right? A team that's going to make the playoff essentially if they finish top four, which they probably will. And you know you get down ten nothing early in the game, and if the floodgates were ever going to open. And things were ever going to collapse at that point with a freshman quarterback, the way the season has gone thus far, it was going to be right then and there. But it didn't happen. They fought back. They got back into the game and ended up tied 10-10 at the half and take the lead to start the third quarter, 13-10. So to me, that was impressive, even overcoming a Ray Finkel moment by the holder. Laces <laughs> out, Dan, pointing the laces. The dude didn't even try to spin the ball. He just caught it and placed it down, knowing full well the laces were pointing into Borgales and said, screw it. All that laces out stuff, that's bullshit. I'm just going to leave it right here. And bang, he shanked, he shanked a pot of his, the, the kick. But uh, all that was great. But then FSU eventually took over. And, and they started to impose their will in Miami, on Miami starting in that third quarter. And again, I don't know what it is about the third quarter with the Hurricanes, but has, it has not been friendly. And going into that Clemson game, 
I believe it was uh, they were outscored 45 to seven in the third quarter in ACC play. They were outscored again, 10, three, this game. I believe they were outscored against NC state again in the third quarter there. Um, they played Clemson even, I believe, or maybe slight. They, they won 14, 10 in the third quarter against Clemson, which lo and behold was a game they won. So to me, it's, it's this thing where the hurricanes come out of the half and it seems as though they've blown their wad, right? They've come out in the first half. They've given everything and they have offensively. There's no adjustments. There are no changes. And you are not doing your quarterbacks and your freshman quarterback in this game any sort of favors, any sort of service by going out there and just continuing to run the same things over and over again and not adjusting to what FSU is doing. I'm texting you and Kelvin, and I'm telling you, dude, they keep rolling down a defensive back late to come up and run support, to come come and blitz and, and and just either run the running back over or sack Emory Williams. And they're not adjusting to it. They're not max protecting. They're not taking advantage of it. They finally did in the fourth quarter and they got a big play out of it. But it's like you, you, you're you not seeing things and doing things and adjusting to what the defense is doing. It's almost like you're staying stagnant and static and hoping that something breaks loose and happens, which thank God for the Hurricanes it did with that touchdown catch by by uh, Jacoby George in the third quarter. That was basically two, two FSU DBs running into each other. They got open. Emory threw a great ball. But if that safety doesn't hold up and like slam into the, the corner, he doesn't get that touchdown. And it got him back in the game. And the frustrating thing about it is there's so many opportunities, man, little things. Things that the Hurricanes don't do to cash in on that FSU did. The Hurricanes put themselves in bad positions sometimes with penalties. They put themselves in bad positions by negative plays. They didn't make the opportune plays like FSU did. I mean, there was a time right there when it was 13-13, right? And Miami gets the ball down to, I think it was, oh no, it was, it was starting the third quarter. It was 10-10, they're driving where they get the field goal, but it was first and 10 at FSU's 27. First and 10. They end up fourth and 16 and having to kick a field goal. That's the kind of things that loses games against rivals. When you're not ready for prime time, those are the mistakes you make, and it's just frustrating. There's no doubt that Miami's offensive coordinator and the entire offense in general, I mean, this was supposed to be the strength. Mario said the passing game was supposed to be the strength. This is what they were supposed to be good at. And after the fourth game of the season, after you had that, uh, you know, rough finish against Georgia Tech, and then you go on the road and, and play North Carolina tough. They come back, and and it, and it's just, I mean, Tyler Van Dyke fell apart. I mean, they, we can go, we, we've lived this story. We know what happened. Um, but this was supposed to be the strength of the team, and it's remarkable to me how, you know, yes, you can point to the quarterback and the turnovers and say if he wasn't turning the ball over, maybe you don't, you know, maybe it's not as big a deal and you're winning some of these games. But the bottom line is the coordinator obviously has a big role in this too, and I'm not absolving Shannon Dawson of anything. But, Carlos, I do think seeing Emory Williams go down uh, in this game um, and and then now we know Tyler Van Dyke's going to start the, at least this Louisville game. We don't know what's going on with Jakari Brown. Uh, it seems really, really weird. We're going to get to that in a minute. But let me ask you this. As, as a former quarterback, as a guy who knows offense, did you see enough from Emory Williams against Florida State? Okay, he was 8 of 23 for 175 yards and two touchdowns. And, and let's face it, that 85-yard touchdown was a miracle. Uh, did, did you see anything from him to make you feel like Miami can win a national championship with him at quarterback? Because if the answer is no, right, <laughs> the answer is no, then Miami's, Miami has to go spend a lot of money on a quarterback in the next few weeks, right? Because ultimately, Mario Cristobal didn't come here to just, I don't know, go 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three every single year. Miami's trying to win championships. Is Emory Williams a championship quarterback? Is he a bridge to a championship quarterback? Or is he not even a guy in your mind that can be the starter next year? I think in the near term, right now, I don't know that he's ready to lead a team to prominence, to be in a playoff spot, right, or compete for a national championship. That's near term. But then again, that also that's all very dependent upon who his offensive coordinator is, right? We talked about this last time he played against Clemson. We said a quarterback is like an actor and an offensive coordinator is the director slash script writer. He's the one feeding the quarterback the lines that he has to say. And if the quarterback isn't given enough to do with the lines he's given, I mean, there's only so much he can do, right? And it's also dependent upon the players he has around him. If he's got explosive guys around him, you have guys that may, may, may not be as physically talented that can win championships for you. I mean, Ken Dor Dorsey was a great quarterback, but he wasn't physically overpowering in terms of arm strength, physical ability, or anything like that. I mean, the guy weighed like 140 pounds. Let's face it. If a strong gust of wind came by, Ken Dorsey would end up in the third row in the Orange Bowl. But right. he made plays because he understood the offense. He was given enough around him in terms of playmakers. He didn't make mistakes, and he knew where to go with the football. And I think Emery shows some of those traits in terms of knowing where to go to the football. He knows 
how to read progressions. I think you could see it just by watching the game, the way his head and his eyes were moving. It's different than what Tyler Van Dyke was doing. He was clearly reading progressions and knowing where guys are on the field. Now, does he have the physical ability to drive the ball down the field like Tyler? Maybe not, but the ball, the shot to Jacoby George, where the two guys ran into each other, was a pretty nice ball. The fade to the back of the end zone was a nice ball. I just don't know that he's ready yet, and I think it's going to take like another year of season before we get a real good assessment. I think it's going to take another offensive coordinator to get a real good assessment of what he can do because he hasn't given enough. Now, to me, the the other issue is not only does Miami lack a superstar quarterback or a guy that you feel like is a five-star, a guy you can rely on at quarterback – I don't know if they have a five-star receiver. They haven't recruited a five-star receiver yet. They're chasing Jeremiah Smith. They want that kind of guy on the team. If they could land one, that'll be a big help to this offense. I mean, just look at what Charleston Ramble did for the Hurricanes that one year, not being a five-star guy, but being a really good receiver coming from Oklahoma, giving that additional dynamic to the Hurricanes to be able to get down the field and be explosive and make big-time plays. You saw the difference that Kobe George made this past weekend when he got his opportunity to make a couple plays but it's not consistent enough. I think the Hurricanes need more weapons outside. They need to also find a way to get Colby Young the ball a little bit more because every time he, he goes up and goes he, he goes up to get the ball, he gets it, he makes plays. There's just a lot that goes into it, and I don't think it's just dependent upon Emory Williams. I think he's fine. I think from a leadership perspective, he's got it. He's a he's a sharp guy. Kids like him. The team likes him. He fights. He's a leader. He's positive. He's upbeat. He's willing to sacrifice his body for the team, but – from a passing perspective, I don't know yet. I can't tell. I mean, the the book is open on him, which to me means you have to go out and get a quarterback in the transfer portal for next season. Because if you're unsure at this point, even if you're on the fence 50-50, then you got to go get a proven guy, give Emory one more year or have him compete with that guy, and then see what happens after that. Yeah, I want to talk about some transfers, some guys that could be potential targets that I think make sense for Miami because of the situation that they're in. Uh, and the fact that NIL could play a role, right? Miami can go spend a lot of money. Uh, it is Christmas season uh, soon. Uh, we are close to Thanksgiving. Uh, this is the season. No, I'm, I'm making my list already. I'm, I'm already putting a little Christmas <laughs> list together. I'm going to slip under Mario's door. I'm going to tell him, look, this guy looks pretty good. What do you think about these stats? Come on. <laughs> Before we get to some potential transfers, I want to discuss Jakari Brown. Um, Cristobal said yesterday during his press conference that he'd get a lot of reps in practice this week behind Tyler Van Dyke, who is – Going to be the no starter choice. again. Uh, then when offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson was later asked in the, in the same press conference how the workload between Van Dyke and Brown would be split. I messaged this to uh, David Lake, by the way, during the press conference. And David, thank you. David Lake from Inside the U, thank you for asking the question I wanted answered. Uh, he, Dawson didn't have an answer, which was really, really weird to me, Carlos, because if if he is going to get reps, you would think that the offensive coordinator would know the day before, right? They go out and practice, and they get all the guys back together Tuesday, Wednesday, or, or Miami's big practice days. You'd think he'd know, well, Van Dyke's getting 60, and Brown is, is getting 40. But somehow, some way, he just couldn't answer that question. So my question to you, Carlos, because the whole thing with Jakari Brown is really, really weird, okay? He could have – starting with the FSU game, he could have started playing. I know they wanted to protect his red shirt. That's the whole story that Mario is going with, right? He could have played against FSU. Miami's not playing in the ACC championship game, so there's three, re there's there's two regular season games left. FSU would have been the third plus the bowl game. That's four games. You can play up to four games and still earn a red shirt. All right. The bottom line is Brown didn't play. He immediately names Tyler Van Dyke the starter without even a competition, even though he had a competition last week between Williams and Van Dyke in practice. Uh, my question to you is: Do you want to see Jakari Brown play? And is there anything Tyler Van Dyke could do in these last two games to convince you that he's still the quarterback at Miami? You mean other than throwing for five touchdowns and 500 yards in the last two games each game? I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, that would work. <laughs> Make up the difference. Like he threw – how many interceptions has he thrown now in ACC play? Is it 12? 11. 11, 11. interceptions. Okay, so if he throws 12 touchdowns over the next two games and overcomes that, becomes plus one then to make up for all the turnovers, then yeah, sure. Uh, I'll say that Tyler Matt a guy. But, I mean, of course I want to see Jakari Brown. W what else? Why Why wouldn't you? He got a shot last year. He showed some flashes. Obviously, his, his skills as a passer weren't refined yet. He wasn't ready for that kind of stuff. But if, if you're going to go out there and you're going to try and beat a team that's another really significant opponent, another, another top 25 team, another top 15 team with a really good defense at home, and you're trying to elevate your profile a little bit, trying to finish 8-4 and four in the year, why not? This kid will give you a better shot than Tyler Van Dyke, in my opinion, with the type of game that you want to play anyway. 
You want to ground and pound. You want to shorten the game. You want to out-physical your opponent. That's Mario's style because right now, clearly, he doesn't have the weapons or, or at least the quarterback to be able to go wide open uh, the way uh, maybe Shannon Dawson would like to if he's not withheld or held back by Mario. We'll, we'll get to that later. But um, if you're going to ground and pound it anyway, why not add another dimension to it where now you have to worry about 11 guys on the field, not just 10, and use his athletic ability and then come off play action and make big plays with him being able to throw to open guy because they're going to have to load the box and focus on stopping the run. So to me, I'd love to see what he can do because at the end of the day, you have to see their first shot of the day. Hang on. At the end of the day. Go for it. <laughs> that was that was not just Diet Coke. That was Roman Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> you have to see what, what's on your roster. You have to give this kid a shot to get in a good idea of what it is he's capable do, of doing because some guys look great in practice. Then they just don't have a game day. Some guys look terrible in practice. And when you throw him in there, the lights come on and he's a different guy. So you want to see how he's developed from year to year. And if he's just, if he could be an answer next season or at least leading it to spring. But to me, the way they're playing it, it seems like Jakari doesn't want to be here next year. He's already made that decision. And he's just saving his body. He's making a business decision. And if, yeah, if you need me as an emergency quarterback, I'll jump in there if I have to. I'm not going to let my teammates down. But if not, don't even look my way. It, it's funny, the wild speculation on Jakari, uh, you know, all the different rumors, all the thought process, all the theories of why we haven't seen him yet. I got one this morning from somebody who I, who I talked to quite a bit, and he said, uh, rumor mill on Jakari is Mario doesn't want to play him because he doesn't want to show any other teams how much he's improved. <laughs> so they don't come get him in the transfer portal. Look, the honest to God truth is this. Miami's been pretty upfront that their entire intention was to redshirt him. So I get that. If that's what the kid wanted. But look. Uh, usually the reason kids want a red shirt nowadays in the in the era of NIL and transfers is because they don't want to get hurt. They want to make sure that they're healthy and that they can transfer and go to another program and get paid to go there. So the only thing that makes sense to me of why we haven't like seen... Like De'Ara King. Like De'Ara King, exactly. He he pulled the same stun at Houston. So um, that's the only thing that makes sense to me, Carlos. Uh, so look, I, I think you're right. I think yeah, the Miami whole not showing people how good he's gotten really really bro like at this point you would have thrown him in there if he was really that good then you would have burnt the red shirt he would have played the rest of the season he would have been your starter going into next year and you don't have to worry about the transfer portal if he's yeah. your starter so to me that's i mean all right i guess well carlos look uh, there are some talented underclassmen who i think could be swayed to come home and play behind this offensive line and maybe even ken dorsey if he's the offensive hey, by the way ken dorsey has no eligibility left so he can't start a quarterback for the hurricanes next year <laughs> The obvious choice, all right, the name that a lot of people have talked about is Tulane's Michael Pratt. He's from Boca Raton, thrown for almost 9,000 yards, 84 touchdowns, 25 picks. He's run for over 1,100 yards and 27 touchdowns in his time at Tulane. We can talk about him, but there are a few other names I wanted to mention here, guys that I think make sense because they're at lower-tier programs and are could be enticed to basically come play Power 5 football. One of them, Carlos, is Washington State's Cam Ward. Washington State, you might notice, uh, they got left out of a Power 5 conference. Them and Oregon State are looking to see what they're going to do next season because, you know, the Pac-12 split up. Uh, Ward, if you remember, played at Incarnate Ward. He won the Jerry Rice Award, which is like for the top division uh, two or FCS player or whatever. Uh, he's completed 67% of his passes this season, 3,100 yards, 20 touchdowns, five picks. He's also run for 114 yards and six scores. He's not super, super, super mobile, but... He's not a statue either, and he can make, you know, there's a threat of a run in his game, so to speak. He's 21 years old, 6'2", 223 pounds. He also, of course, played with former Miami linebacker or former Washington State-turned-Miami linebacker Francisco Mauinoa. Um, Middle Tennessee State's Nicholas Vadiado. He's another South Florida native. He's from Plantation High School or uh, Plantation, but played at University High School, uh, the private school up in Broward and no uh, near Nova, 6'1". Uh, 196 pounds. He plays for Middle Tennessee State. He's completed 67% of his passes this season. 2,600 yards, 20 touchdowns, nine picks. He's run for 302 yards and two scores. The thing about Vadiato is he quarterbacked the South Florida Express, Carlos. And guess who played for the South Florida Express? Jeremiah mm. Smith, right? Yeah, that wouldn't have been my guess. All right, but there's a, there's a lot of good receivers who who played for the South Florida Express. Vadiato's got experience. He's got two years, I think, of starting experience at Middle Tennessee State. Um, and and you know, again, you're, you're, I'm just throwing names out here. This isn't because I was told anything. This isn't because I know anything. This is simply speculation. But I think at this point, we all have to sort of come to the understanding 
that if Miami isn't looking for a quarterback in the transfer portal, something's probably wrong, right? Right. And I mean, Pratt to me is the most experienced, the most seasoned, and the most ready to go, right? He's the guy you could plug and play. He's been in big games. He's won a lot of games for Tulane, thrown for a lot of touchdowns, run for a lot of yards. If, if Miami is not going to go that way, if they want to just supplement the QB room and try and find another young guy to add competition and add some depth to it, maybe skipping a recruiting cycle, because I got to tell you, I'm not too convinced with this uh, quarterback recruit that's coming up. Judd Anderson? No, no. I'm not all that convinced with that guy. Another guy that I would look at is Fernando Mendoza over at Cal. Uh, former Columbus quarterback, 6'5", big kid, good arm, smart decision maker. He's just become the quarterback for Cal, the starter for the last few games. Uh, he's thrown for 975 yards, eight touchdowns, four picks, playing in a big-time conference, and he's played in his starts against USC. He's played against Washington State. He's played against Oregon. And, uh, I mean, what else could you ask for? You really can't. Um, you, you, you need you need somebody who has at least played at the Power 5 level, right? And and Cal, of course, is joining the ACC, so that, that whole thing is interesting. <laughs> They're going to be on Miami's schedule next year, uh, road game for Miami. Um Carlos, um, I want to talk about coordinators, but I'm not going to make it about offense, okay? I'm going to speculate now about defense, and here's why. Uh, the coaching carousel picked up steam this week. Jimbo Fisher got fired at Texas A&M, left the building with $76 million in his pocket. Uh, Penn State Oof, fought. Did they, make him, did they make him take the ski mask <laughs> off as he walked out of the building? Because I would have been like, yo, <laughs> it's me. I'm the one getting paid, baby. And by the way, I'm not selling the ranch. I'm keeping it. I'm going to keep it right here to remind you of all you paid me. Penn State fired its offensive coordinator after they lost to Michigan. Boise State fired its head, its head coach. Mississippi State fired its head coach. It's officially moving season in college football. And while I think Miami fans are focused on, hey, how do we upgrade offensive coordinator? I don't think they're thinking much about losing anybody. And I think they do need to think about this, Carlos. I'm not doing this because it's Halloween. I'm not trying to scare you. Halloween passed already. I'm just spitting truth at you, okay? If I'm Brian Kelly at LSU, right, I've seen what Miami did to FSU this past weekend, holding them to 57 yards rushing. I've seen that Louisiana native Lance Guidry has done a really good job with this Kings defense. If I'm Brian Kelly, I'm calling him. If you're Brian Kelly, you're calling him. Yeah. How nervous are you, Carlos, about Miami potentially losing their defensive coordinator? Listen, if if LSU comes in with a $2 million package, $2.5 million package, and a bunch of crawfish, my boy's gone. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? He gets that Cajun crawfish, and he gets those $2 million, he's out of here. And he's he's going to elevate himself because that's the, what these guys want to do eventually is become head coaches themselves. And yeah, he's done a great job here in Miami, and he knows Mario's got job security. But it's not the it's not the SEC. And if he makes a name for himself as a coordinator in the SEC, if he leads LSU to an SEC championship with a strong defense, then he elevates that profile, and he's going to get a shot as a head coach. So yeah, absolutely. If I'm Brian Kelly, I'm making that phone call, or if I'm other major programs across the country that lack a defensive coordinator or feel you need to upgrade, I'd all, I'd absolutely make a call. I mean, aside from that third quarter against North Carolina and his stepping onto the field on fourth down, uh, Gidry's have a, had a great season as a coordinator. He really has. Um, we're going to get to mailbag questions and, and hot takes shortly because I want to make time for that. I asked for him yesterday, and I, I even got emails yesterday, Carlos, from people who, once I put my email out there, they, they wanted to send me comments and thoughts. Um, amongst, amongst other things, from what I've heard. Amongst other things, yes. But let, let's start with this. What are your positives to take away from the FSU loss? What are the negatives? You watch the game close. We kind of touched on it a little bit. We've talked about Emory Williams, but are there other players, other things that you take away from that that you think are positives for Miami? I mean, defensively, I think the defense played really well. I think they played stellar. Aside from a couple big plays that they gave up, they played as good a game as you could hope for. Um, I mean, that slant to Douglas that went for, what, 62, 63 yards uh, in that third quarter, that was just unfortunate cam kitchens didn't play it right and he escaped and he got loose um also you know that that punt return by keon coleman those two plays were huge in in shifting the tide of the game because they they led to scores and of course trey benson's long touchdown run um they they bottled him up for the most part but he made plays when he needed to you know johnny wilson didn't have a big game but anytime fsu wanted a first down and needed a first down they went right to johnny wilson and got it um but seeing all those things the defense really fought hard they played well they bottled him up they contained Jordan Travis in terms of his scrambling and his running. Um, he's elusive. He's still got free a couple times, but they did a better job than I anticipated in getting him to the ground with sacks. So to me, the defense was a huge highlight. I think, you know, Don Chaney, seeing him run tough that way, a year following an injury, 
you know, him continuing to get better week after week, him being healthy pretty much for the most part, the whole season, being able to participate in most games, seeing his vision. To me, he has he's the back with the best vision on the team. And his ability to still be explosive and powerful is nice to see. I'd like I like to see the development of Mark Fletcher. I see where it's going, but I think he still needs better field vision in terms of uh knowing where the running lanes are, where to cut back, where the holes are going. And I think that comes with time with knowing where your offensive line is going with it and how that play might develop. And it's just a repetition kind of thing. And you'll eventually get to that point. I mean, you know, Emery Williams is uh stones, man. Uh, as my man from major league said, he's got marbles, marbles. <laughs> and uh, at least he's got that. So he he proved that this game, you know, Jacoby George making big plays when he needed it. Um, I wasn't too fired up that he tweeted out the whole Santana Moss thing the day after the game. You're saying, you know, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. Yeah, it is, but, I mean, I wouldn't do that after a loss. That's just me. I'm an old-school guy. I'm going to get it in the comments now, but the kid played great. He did his thing. Um, disappointing to me is not being able to match those big plays from FSU. You didn't have – you had some explosive plays yourself, but they weren't as timely as FSUs were. Shooting yourself in the foot with penalties and mistakes, again, those things happen and, and put you behind the eight ball. And, again, man, Ray Finkel. I mean, did we not learn from Ace Ventura Pet Detective? Special no. teams, special teams hasn't been. I mean, look, Borgales has kicked really, really well. I think he's what is he, eighteen or twenty-one on field goals. He's hit a lot of big kicks. He's played well. I think the punting has been good, but there have been breakdowns in coverage. Yeah. There's been breakdowns in protection. There's been breakdowns on holds. You're never gonna have a perfect season. I get it. Those mistakes are gonna happen. But I would say if you're gonna criticize the special teams this season. Those are plays that stick out like a sore thumb, right? Um, to me, it's, you make mistakes, right? You'll make a whole, you know, holding penalties, things like that. Those are mistakes that happen in the flow of a game. Do not make critical mistakes, right? Don't make mistakes that are so, that are game threatening, like a not spinning the ball to avoid the laces, like giving up a 57 yard return. Those are things that, come on, those are avoidable. You can give up a big 20, 30 yard return, but don't big up, give up the big one. Yeah, that and that was backbreaking because really, I mean, Miami ends up having the 85-yard touchdown to pull within seven after that uh, Keon Coleman play. But look, I, one thing I noticed after the game, a lot of Miami fans and, and FSU media, which is weird to say, but FSU media loves loves them, them Seminoles, um, back and forth, right? A lot of trash-talking players, trash-talking, uh, which is fun. It makes the rivalry fun. But what I find interesting is, after watching that game and, and seeing Florida State earlier this year against LSU and now knowing how terrible LSU really is on defense, uh, shout out to Andy Stables, by the way. Andy Stables told me at the FSU-LSU game before the season even started that LSU's defense was going to be bad. I just didn't envision it being this bad. But, but to carry on the conversation, I don't think Florida State can win the national championship with this team. No. I think they can make the playoff. I think they will win the ACC with this team, although Louisville will give them a game. Um but I don't see them winning a national championship with this roster because of the way that Miami played against them up front. It was pretty even. If not, at times, you could say Miami owned the battle up front. Um, so I, I just think, you know, while Mike Norvell has built a really nice team and he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done, that guy is really good at his job. Um, I just I, I came away from Saturday's game. I watched it on the couch uh, for, for stomach virus reasons, not not in person in Tallahassee like I wanted to be. Um, I, I just think FSU isn't a championship caliber team right now. Jared Verse isn't playing like a dominant defensive end. Uh, their offensive line doesn't overpower you when they need to run the football. They rely a lot on Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Jordan Travis to make it work. And I think when you look at Georgia – uh, and you look at Alabama, who I think are the two best teams in the country, they're better than Florida State. Could Florida State beat Michigan? Probably. Could Florida State beat Ohio State? Probably. Could they beat Oregon or Washington? Yeah, I, I'd give them a chance. But I don't think they're better than the two SEC teams. No, I don't think so either. Um, I don't think they're better than Oregon. I don't think they're better than Washington. I think those two teams are pretty damn good. Um, and Michigan. I think you know Michigan probably beats them as well. I think Michigan is built – to pound Florida State the way Miami wanted to pound them into submission. And uh, that just doesn't play well with with the Seminoles. And I think ultimately this is why Mario's building the team the way he's building it, right, from the inside out. Yeah. He wants to build it up front to be competitive because that's how you get competitive the quickest. You cannot win games by just building it on the skill positions because you have nobody blocking for you. Um, you're not going to get the football. Because the quarterback's not, not going to be able to get the ball off. The, the running back's not going to have any lanes to run through. Defensively, if your defensive line isn't dominating, 
stopping the run, getting after the quarterback, as a DB, you're toast because eventually somebody's going to break open because the quarterback's going to have have enough time to scramble, make a play, and find an open receiver. And you can't be back there covering forever. So that, that's why Mario's building the team the way he's building it. And it's going to continue to pay dividends in the future. You've seen it this season somewhat. And the fact that they've you know stalemated and, and even dominated teams like Clemson up front, um, they've taken a team now in Florida State that they had no business really compared to what was going on during the season, being in that game against, and they they should have taken the game. They had the opportunity to, and that's the progression from year one to year two. The difference between the offense and defensive lines compared to last season, I think that's the major difference because you're still having turnover issues at the quarterback position like you were a year ago. Only this year you have the lines up front to make up for it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Look, Miami, the one thing I will say for Mario is everything that I see outside of the quarterback position gives me confidence that he's building this the right way. The problem is, Carlos, for me, is that that's the one position. I said it earlier in this podcast, the bane of his coaching existence. He inherited uh, Justin Herbert at Oregon. Didn't recruit him. Didn't have to. He was was there. Um, To me, like, I don't know that he's ever really been known for that. And one thing I will say about great teams that have been built, teams that win championships, uh, programs that won national titles in the past, um, they all had to have a guy behind center who did who, who who was at the very least a good game manager, okay? At the very least a good game manager, right? Somebody who didn't turn the ball over, who handed the ball off to really good backs, who threw the ball short and sweet, like a Ken Dorsey, right? Like, that's what Ken Dorsey was. He wasn't a thrilling quarterback. He was a really, 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 really good game manager. And why did Miami win a national title with him? Because they had just ridiculous athletes all over the field. That's how Alabama won championships. I don't – maybe Emory Williams is that guy in a couple of years, but right now, for next year, to take a step forward in year three, they got to bring in somebody, Carlos. And, and I think the offense – I think Mario has to do something where he really upgrades the offensive play calling. You can't go an entire season with tight ends catching 12 passes. You can't, um, you know, not at Miami. You can't, you you can't have the running backs not really involved in the passing game either. Exactly. It's just not going to work. And I think that's what we're going to come away with uh, when we we look at this season. We're going to get to mailbag in a minute. I want to ask you about Louisville. Can Miami beat Louisville with this offense, this stinky cheese Offense completing 33% of its passes when it actually hits receivers' hands. Uh, and Miami, by the way, I, I don't know what ended up happening finally with Leonard Taylor, but obviously he he was banged up a couple times in that FSU game. Um, you know, I don't know where they are in the injury front, but Jawar Jordan can run the football. Louisville can run the football. They can throw the football. Jack Plummer is a really, 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 really good game manager. He's got a really, really good receiver in Jamari Thrash, and they've only lost one game all year on the road to Pitt. Um, in your mind, can they beat Louisville with the offense the way it is right now? I mean, if the way they, they played the way they did against FSU, they'll have a shot. I think the defense dominates that way and is able to stop the run the way they did. I think uh, the Garden Snake is more likely to produce a turnover than, than Jordan Travis. Uh, that's the one thing that scared me the most about FSU coming into this game is not only did you have to beat these guys, but they don't beat themselves. They don't make a lot of mm-hmm. mistakes, especially not turnovers. They've turned the ball over very few times all season. Um, not the same case with Louisville. You know, the, the, the Garden Snake will put it up for grabs every once in a while. So uh, you you have an opportunity to get a couple turnovers, flip the field, get on short fields, maybe punching it at least for a touchdown and a field goal, get things going for you that way, make it easier on your offense, and then be able to dominate up front and just kill clock, shorten the game, and be the physically dominant team. You have a shot, I think, to beat Louisville, but you have to be able to run the football really well. And to me, this was the thing that I was calling for last week that I didn't understand why they didn't do it. If Cam McCormick is a waste out there, he's not going to catch a pass in the passing game. And his blocking is okay. It's not great. Then you might as well bring Matthew McCoy, which you've done before in certain packages, put him in a tight end, go six offensive linemen and play bully ball and say, let's go. We're going to line up and we're going to out physical you. And then when you start to creep up, they're going to hit you over the top, but they never did it. And I'm hopeful that maybe they do it this week. I don't know. 
I've lost all faith in, faith in Shannon Dawson. I've screamed at the top of my lungs. Every once in a while, he takes something from my little grab bag that I try to yell about, throws it in there, it works, and he never goes back to it because he doesn't want to make me look good. <laughs> we talked about Texas A&M, the uh, ramifications there. Players are probably going to be leaving. Some interesting names on that Texas A&M roster, guys with South Florida ties, including Shamar Stewart, the defensive lineman, Raymond Cottrell, a receiver, already announced that he's going into the transfer portal. He played with Emory Williams in high school. He's a four-star, top 200-ranked player out of uh, Milton, Florida. Could be somebody on Miami's radar as a possible receiver. But my question to you, Carlos, if you're Mario this offseason, seeing 10 games, what positions in your mind are you looking to address through the transfer portal? I mean, besides quarterback, quarterback besides quarterback, <laughs> we know that we've gone into uh, that. wide receiver. I'd want to get one wide receiver, one mm -hmm. big time playmaker wide receiver. If I can, although you're wasting Rashard Smith, I think you need another big threat on the outside. I'd love to see what Jacoby George can do in the slot. Maybe uh, where he's not having to deal with press coverage at times where he's not having to deal with the physicalness of some guys when he gets room to run, when he gets a free release, he's able to beat guys off the field and, and use his speed. I'd love to see that combination. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go cornerback, man. They still need help at cornerback. Uh, they're they're thin at that position. You know, DeMar Brown is going to be a good one down the road. His brother's not very good. Um, you know, Daryl Porter Jr. is probably very good. Jane Davis played very well, but I still think they're undersized at that position and need more bodies there. Well, Jadeus um, Richard, who filled in for Daryl Porter Jr., I thought did a pretty good job on Keon Coleman. Damari Brown, who you mentioned, yes, he got beat for a touchdown. But for the most part, those guys didn't go off against Miami's backup corners because I don't think Jaden Davis played a whole lot, if at all. I know he dressed. And then, obviously, Daryl Porter was in street clothes. But um, I, I just want to give those guys a little bit of a Yeah, they did, they did a good love. job. But I still think that position is thin, and I think there's there needs to be a – an even greater talent upgrade if you're going to be playing against big-time teams. And if you want to make the playoff, right? Yeah. If you want to play against that, that level of competition. I, I've seen some NFL draft, mock draft stuff this week, and people are high on Cam Kitchens and James Williams. Um, obviously, Miami will have to replace those guys. That would yep. create a that would create a big hole. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, you're probably going to get a lot of guys back um, that have eligibility. We'll see about Javion Cohen. I think he's probably going to the NFL. But uh, Matt Lee could come back if he wanted to at center. I mean, I don't think you're going to have a lot of holes now. We got to also see who, which players decide to take off and leave, and how. Yeah, that there'll be some defections. There'll be some defections as always, but it is moving season. That's the only reason I bring all that stuff up. Speaking of seasons, it's mailbag time now um, because mailbag season never ends, and there's lots of questions. And I sent this out yesterday around 5:40, and Carlos, I got to tell you, you have a lot of fans. Uh, Nick Strong, no, no. Kane 23 said, "Can." Uh, El Ledo 1307, please apply for the OC job. My Canes have to beat my hometown team, Louisville. Canes by 90. Um, Carlos, are, have you, are you going to call Mario to see if maybe he puts you on as a quarterback guru coach? What's the plan? What's the plan here? Absolutely not. Uh, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Nick's a very uh, loyal follower and follows both my podcast and this podcast. Messages me a lot. Um, and it was very scary when you start off by saying a fan of yours and KY Kane. That doesn't that doesn't come off well. That comes off a little bit concerning. But either way, uh, listen, man, I enjoy just being able to sit back and watch these games and break them down and do it while I have a cigar in my hand and a drink in the other and not have to worry about the pressure of preparing for these games, the pressure of having to perform on Saturdays and not having to deal with recruiting kids that are 17, 18, 16, 15 years old. And having to kiss their ass and get them to like you and then get them to, to do what you want, which is to go to your school and then get to coach them and, and try and keep them in check. And that to me is not fun anymore. Like, like I, I enjoy the game. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy talking about it. But coaching, no, thank you. I enjoy having a family life and a life in general. <laughs> All right. This is from Kane's Films. Um, he wants to know what piece of info about the Canes that isn't out there that I can divulge. Uh, that I can share without divulging too much. Kane Films, I am not plugged in at all with this university. I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, nobody over there talks to me. I get no inside information. I am just a dude who lives off of uh, his 30 years of being a journalist and uh, and talks about the team. And in all seriousness, I don't go out to any of the practice. I'm not allowed to see anything. Um, other than conversations that I have with a few people, I don't, I, I don't know enough. Like a lot of this stuff is a mystery to me. Um, you know, I talk to parents and other people occasionally about what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, but the reality is I, I, I can tell you from experience that what I think is going on, um, 
at Miami right now is that the confidence between coordinator and quarterback um, somehow lost its way and the offense lost its way. I mean, it's obvious. And I, and I think that is a problem going forward uh, for Miami. I think Mario Cristobal has to look at his offensive coordinator, his quarterback coach and say, is this the right guy for our future? And I, I don't know where, I honestly don't know where Mario stands on that. I mean, he felt really good about the Shannon Dawson hire. Like I said, in the beginning of the season, he was saying the passing game is going to be our strength. And it's inexplicable that something like this happened so quickly that you had such a drastic um, drop off. So, and you know what? Adding to the pressure now to, on Shannon Dawson, this this Dorsey firing, which you know the fan base is going to be clamoring for Ken Dorsey, not to mention the boosters mm-hmm. that have the money that want this guy here are going to come up and say, "Hey, listen, dude, Dawson's not getting a cut. You need to cut a check to cut him loose and bring Kenny Dorsey in. We'll figure it out. Get it done." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I agree, and and so look. The bottom line is uh, I got no insider information. I can tell you from experience that there's going to be changes this offseason. It just always happens. Mario has a lot of changes to his staff. There's going to be players coming in and out. Don't It's not going to stay status quo. Things will happen. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know which players it'll be. I don't know which coaches it'll be, but I think there will be some changes because this isn't acceptable. Mario didn't come That's here. Inevitable. Yeah, Mario didn't come here to just go uh, six and four or seven and five or eight and four or whatever. Like it, it's, it's Miami has to win like this. Yeah. This can't stay status quo. Um, this is from Yoast J 83. What happened post bye week with the offense, understanding that talent level is different, but if FSU happens week five, we're rolling that team out of the stadium. Offense is definitely since the bye. Do you agree with that Carlos? If the scheduling timing was different, does Miami beat Florida state coming out of week four? Um, only because I think Florida State would have played man and tried to pressure TVD because that's that's just their comfort zone. That's where they feel best. And at the end of this game, when TVD came in and I saw they kept playing man, I was like, oh, my God, this guy might actually have a shot of leading us down the field to get a score because that's where he plays best. But if they had come out with the game plan that everybody else is coming out with in the ACC, which is play, you know, cover four, cover two, cover six, cover three, and mix it up on TVD, no shot. Yeah, I'd, I'd, maybe it would have been different, but I think Florida State was also in a different place too, right? Like their receivers weren't banged up then. Uh, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, I'm not, I, I don't think after coming out of week four, they were sort of dealing with anything. And they got banged up as, as the season sort of went on. Um, all right, let's keep going here. Uh, Michael Bonasser, Bones 12 on uh, Twitter. Where should the the blame lie in the regression of the offense since the Georgia Tech game? Everyone seems like it's Dawson. Every everyone says it's Dawson's play calling, but the similarities to how last year's offense uh, was makes it seem to me that Crystal Ball made the decision to put a leash on Dawson and restrict his playbook. Yeah, it's it's a theory, man, and and I know we talk about it a lot on the show, Carlos. But I, I, I guess being a part of a coaching staff. Um, the head coach can always have influence, right? Like he can always come to the coordinator and say, let's be more conservative. In Mario's case, I can't blame him for wanting to do that with Tyler throwing as many interceptions as he was throwing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and the Mario's go-to is the more the turnovers happen and the worse it looks, the more he wants to clench, play even more clench and play more conservative and then also be more micromanaging, I think. Yeah. You know, you'll notice during games, this is Mario when the team is on defense. Headset off, offense, headsets on, talking into the mic. What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Good good, good response there, Carlos. This is from Ginger Man Cannon Did to a believer. One thing that has cursed Miami for years is guys leaving early and entering the draft. Of the guys that are draft eligible, who do you think will ultimately decide to go pro? Who do you think will, should come back? Will TVD be on SMU with Rhett, PSU with Manny, or the XFL next year? I really don't know what's going to happen with Tyler. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think he's going to end up at SMU because I think SMU has a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, Penn State. He's going to end up with the North Texas State Armadillos. He's got to replace um, Scott Bakula. Maybe and that's what happens. Quarterback, yeah, yeah that, maybe that's what ends up happening. But I, I don't think he's going to end up at either of those places. And I don't expect him in the XFL. I think Connecticut might be a place where he goes. You know, he's from Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, that program's kind of had a rough season. Maybe that's where it is. I don't know. I, I, I have I have no idea. We're speculating here. This has nothing to do with anything that I've been told. So, um, all right, let's go here. What, what, as far as players going pro, I think Cam Kitchens, I think James Williams, and I think Javian Cohen will be three guys that have eligibility left that go pro. 
and I think all three guys should come back. Maybe JV and Cohen should go, uh, just because you know, maybe he's an older dude. But I think Cam Kitchens has had a rough second half of the season. He had the pick six against Clemson, but other than that, you know, he's had a lot more missed plays than usual since he came back from the injury. To me, James Williams is a physical beast, and yeah, he makes some big big hits at times. And makes, but I don't think he's played to his potential at the University of Miami, and I don't think he's a very good cover guy. I think his his best role would be as an outside linebacker. I think. Um, and the other the other name I was going to throw out there was Leonard Taylor, just because I know he's been high up on boards. But again, you know, Miami I mean, fans think he's another guy who hasn't necessarily lived up to his uh yeah not enough potential. Uh, this is from Stephen Castle too. I feel that we need to get a veteran QB from the portal. Can you give us some names who we could possibly go after? I feel like we answered your question during the podcast, uh, Stephen. I think the name most people want is Michael Pratt. Yeah. He's wanted Tulane. He's led them to big heights. But again, who knows what? Again, this is just speculation. It's not nobody's knowing anything. Um, it's only right two seven four Rob Port. He's got a bunch of numbers there. Could you explain why it made sense to start TVD, knowing his consistent turnover problem? Does this mean JB, they're pushing him out? Uh, I think it does. I I think the fact that you don't even put uh, Jakari Brown on the field is a sign to me that he's probably on the way out. Yeah, I don't know that you're pushing him out. Maybe it's his decision to be out. Right, right, right. Um, Do we take two 24 quarterbacks now or take two transfer QBs and Judd Anderson? Uh, good question, Columbus Kane or Kane Columbus nine seven four on Twitter. I I think Trevor Jackson is a kid um, who was committed to Ole Miss. He he was an Elite Eleven finalist, um, a kid from the Orlando area, who um, is to me a really talented player. The problem is he's not playing a lot his senior year. He went to high, he transferred to high school and he didn't beat out the guy that was there. So if they add a second guy, he's somebody who would be available. Um, at this point, I think Miami probably looks to take two transfer quarterbacks. If Tyler Van Dyke goes and Jakari Brown goes and you got Emory Williams, you take two transfers and you sign Judd Anderson so you have four on the roster and hope that one of them works out. I agree. Um, I take – I take uh, if you can get Pratt and Mendoza to me, that would be the ideal combination where you get a guy who's a proven starter as a veteran, then you got another guy who's a freshman coming in as a sophomore that's had uh, experience in a Power 5 conference. This is from Stop Cop City at Taco Thunder 5. He says, you laughed at my assertion a few weeks ago that what happened against Georgia Tech might be the beginning of the end for Mario. Do you and Carlos still believe Mario can take us where we want to go? And if so, what are the absolute must-dos this offseason? I'll let you I think we've first. talked about the, the must-dos in the offseason. I think like anything else, just supplementing the talent. you got to always acquire more, more talent, add more talent to the roster, create more depth and competition on the roster. That's how teams win. Um, I also think you're going to make a move of offensive coordinator. I think that's just, to me, is inevitable. It has to happen if you want to take this team to the level that it wants to get to, um, which is a playoff berth. As far as Mario being the guy, I think, you know, you posing this question after a loss, um, you think you're, it makes your point better. But on the contrary, they just went in there without a quarterback, essentially, and almost beat Florida State at home, right? A team that's probably going to make the playoffs. So what does that tell you about the way he's constructing the roster? He's doing a good job, right? He's had um, a horrific run of quarterback play since conference play started, yet this team is still 6-4, and four, right? And they almost beat Florida State on the road. So to me, the way he's starting to construct the roster, this is the beginning phases of it. Yeah. Eventually, it will get better, and eventually, you'll get to the level where it needs to be. Is it good enough? No. Was the Georgia Tech decision stupid? Absolutely. Will it probably cost him uh, You know, from getting to 8-4? and four? Maybe. But we'll see. But I didn't scoff at you or laugh at you. I don't think it's the end of Mario. I think it was a dumb decision that cost them a really important game that eventually, looking back on it now, uh, is going to be one of the reasons why they didn't finish the way they wanted to finish. I'm not going to go off on a long tirade uh, defending Mario Cristobal or the hire of it because I think I think we've discussed all the reasons why. He's a good recruiter. You need to bring in talent. College football is an arms race, etc. Um, but I will answer this. Do I still believe Mario can take Miami where he, you know, where Miami wants the program to go, which is winning national titles again? I think if that's going to happen, Mario needs to grow as a coach and accept the fact that he needs to hand over the offense to somebody who knows what they're doing. And I don't know that he has ever crossed that threshold yet in his career, whether it's FIU, whether it's Oregon, whether it's Miami. At some point, Nick Saban had to let go of the notion that you ground and pound your way to national championships, right? At some point, he saw that 
college football offenses have to score a lot of points and you have to have a complete team. I don't know. And, and Omar, look, he hired a guy who runs the air raid. I, I get it. You know, you had Tyler Van Dyke, who he thought was the number one quarterback in the country. All of those things happen, right? I'm not saying he's resistant to it, but I don't know that Miami's completely bought into, and Mario hasn't completely bought into that concept. And he needs to go out and buy the best quarterback available because that's what it is now in college football. And and you look at every team that's in the college football playoff hunt, more than 50% are guys that were not homegrown. They're transfers. Yep. So until Miami takes that step, they will not win a national championship. And speaking of buying, if you notice the hat. Oh, yes. Good, good transition there, Carlos. MIA all day gear is coming soon. Uh, we're gonna have a Shopify link up in a couple weeks. Yes. I debuted some of the stuff this Saturday uh, before the FSU game. Tweeted it out. You can find it on my Twitter profile at e l l e d o one three zero seven. Manny's also retweeted it. He's gonna retweet it again because I'm gonna make him. And uh, we are not finalized with all all the stuff yet. Those are just some samples of the designs we got coming out. But be on the lookout. It's gonna be ready for Christmas. Get your shopping done. That's right. Make make Carlos a happy man. He deserves it. He's sitting this here. This season has depressed me. So help me. <laughs> all right this is from andrew v underscore 17 if dawson handcuff is is dawson handcuffed by mario or by the qb this offense has not been fun to watch all year uh or all over the last month do you see dawson back next year we've kind of hit this one quite a bit andrew i think uh he's handcuffed by both probably right yeah. um do i see him coming back no if i if i were to make a prediction now on november 14th at 1 p.m my answer is no i agree uh, I have a question here. If you go to a game that you're not a fan of either team, do you a wear uh, the team you're a fan of or B wear a blank shirt with zero team allegiance or C wear a shirt of one of the teams that's playing this is from JL Valero 81. It's a good question. Well, I haven't gone to one of those games in a very long time. Uh, the last one I can remember with college football was I went to go see Nebraska and Tennessee play in the orange bowl. Um, I think it was Peyton Manning was a quarterback. Okay. For Tennessee. Um, I wore I wore a hurricane shirt. Okay. You wear the team just, you wear the team that you support, right? I mean, there's nothing. I mean, wrong that's with just that. a, I was also a very young guy and really didn't care. I was like 19 years old back then, 18, 19 years old. Right. So I was just like, whatever. I also ran into that's when I my Tommy Frazier story happened. Right. I remember but, that. That's a for good those story. of you that don't know, I don't know if I said it on the show before. So it was uh You did my brother's I did? Yeah. Okay, well, whatever. Then look up the episode where I talk about telling Tommy <laughs> Frazier something of right or not, not very nice when I saw him buying nachos. Yes, you did. I think it was over the summer you and I talked talked about that All story. Right. Um, this is from David Hernandez, D. Hernan underscore. He says, this is my take. If we don't see Jakari Brown these last two games, he's going into the first portal. My question, if the passing game doesn't show signs of life these next two games, do you see Dawson being retained? The answer is no. 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 Uh, this is from Jeff. Any interesting transfer prospects from, from Texas A&M? Can we also snipe James Coley back here? This is from RCJ Matt uh, on Twitter. Do you want Coley back? Hmm. Um, I don't know, man. His, his first tenure here wasn't great. I think he's a great dude. I think he's mm -hmm. a hell of a recruiter. Um, I think if he evolves his offensive thinking from where it was before, I think he'd be a really he could be a good coordinator, but I'm not sure, to be honest. I take him. Uh, I take him as tight ends coach. And oh yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. The tight ends will actually catch the ball, and there will be tight ends here that can catch the ball. But the ironic thing is, he was he was trying to beat Miami out for Jaleel Skinner, was he? Yeah. Uh, this is from Rusty Sedaris, R. Sedaris on Twitter. How was the QB room so poorly managed for two years straight? Now is this a Mario problem? Yeah, I mean the head coach has to get the quarterback right. It is a Mario problem. He's got to get it right. No, ultimately, I think in selecting the quarterback, it's a Mario problem because he's the one that you know in this team creates the uh, the overall quarterback board in terms of who you're going to go after. Yeah. But although this is not he inherited TBD anyway, and uh, Emory Williams was a late addition, but I don't know, man. I think it's it's a combination of OC, head coach, quarterback. It's just been a real, real hodgepodge of crap. This is from Tony Perez, Big Chilean sixty three. What did Mario mean? When he said no one wants to write about the state of the team upon his arrival. Well, Tony, I'm glad you asked. Tony, uh, my friend Mario, when he first got the job, wasn't happy with what he inherited. And I think I tried to express that as much as I could on this podcast. 
uh, to say that the talent and the players that he inherited were not very good. The mess, okay, that he inherited, the inner fighting, the uh, poor culture, all of those things is what he is is referring to. So, yes, there was a big cleanup on aisle six, and that's what Mario is referring to. Um, he, does he want people to write about it now? Sure, because he's 11-11, and the results are not good. Uh, good enough for what he's getting paid. And so that's why he wants people to write about that now. And look, uh, I wish Mario the best. I want him to do well at Miami. But, you know, that's why he's making $80 million. He's got to be really good at cleaning up this mess. Yeah, I mean, he he walked in there, looked at this roster before he even knew what he had. Saw him was like, oh, my God, this is a very nice house. He's standing outside the house and saying, this is really nice. You know, it needs some work. It's a fixer-upper. Right. right. But I can work with it. Then he walks inside, and what he discovers is Pookie from New Jack City in the crack den that he was sitting in, and needles and bottles everywhere, you know, a fucking bonfire in the corner, and he's like, what is going on here? And uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of the way that played out. <laughs> all right. We got a lot more. Uh, I, I wish we could get to all of them, guys. You, you guys sent in a ton of them, but I, I'm going to wrap up with this one. This is from Javier, Boy, 1724 First of all, huge fan. I grew up Cuban American in Florida. I can relate so much to Carlos's to Carlos. It's not even funny. Love the show. And I'm one of those that actually gets all of the humor because I'm the same age and generation. My question at this point, there has to be something going on with Jakari that's not being shared. Have you heard of anything that's going on as to why he hasn't even received a snap? Uh oh, I saw you responded to uh to Javier. Um, yeah, yeah. Javier, Twitter. listen, thanks. I know it's tough, you know, since we're the same age, so we're both twenty five years old. It's really um Hard finding out who you are and finding kindred spirits in your mid twenties. So yeah. thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, Javier, yeah. I, I, again, we, we've hit, and you guys ask all the same questions because this is what's on your mind, right? Like this, as fans, this, and we try to address as many of them as, as possible on the show, even without even seeing your guys' question, right? Because we're thinking the same thing. Um, I think at some point the decision was probably made by Jakari Brown that he wanted to leave that he wasn't going to be a part of the plans here. That's what I suspect. I don't know. Again, I don't talk to anybody. Nobody over there tells me anything. So I'm just speculating based on actions, based on experience, based on what little I do know of the situation. Yeah, I mean, we we, we have the same thoughts, although during the course of the show, my mind wanders and other thoughts pop in. Like, did Michael really have to kill Fredo? Could he just, like, excommunicate <laughs> him? Did he really have to take him out there and do him like that? But, I mean, that's just me. Yeah. Well, those are the kind of things that enter your mind because you're you're uh, an entertainment guy and, and we have a lot of fun. Carlos, thanks for coming on the show. Make sure that you subscribe to the MIA All Day podcast and you follow Carlos at LLedo1307 on Twitter. Make sure you also buy some of his merch. Uh, he's you know he deserves it. He deserves to make a little bit of of. Uh, well, I don't. My wife does. She's the one that makes all the stuff. Well, She's the one that makes it look good. I have yeah. absolutely nothing to do with it. So, for for the love of God, help me support my wife. Yeah, shout out to Miss Joanna, as as, as uh, my daughters refer to her. Uh, thanks for coming on. We will do another Wide Right episode probably next week after the Louisville game, although I will be in St. Augustine uh, after the Louisville game. I'm not going to Boston College for the finale. I think I will be covering FSU Florida in Gainesville Saturday that following week, but I will be home for the uh, final home fun. game. Yeah, and then I will be going to Charlotte for the ACC championship game uh, to see at if least, Florida At least you are. Yeah, I will be there. Uh, Miami won't. But hopefully, you know, there's not too much news. Hopefully, Lance Gidry signs a Hey, contract. the good news is your favorite team is probably going to be in the ACC Championship, Manny. You're going to get right. to see Florida State. You're going to get to see your favorite I, team. I get to see the Florida. Noles, who I don't think are good enough to win a national championship. Against Florida, and then you're going to get to see him in Charlotte. You're going to get to see him in two huge games. So congratulations to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Make sure you also subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. You can follow us here on the YouTube page where we have the Wide Ride podcast, or you can subscribe and download it wherever you listen to your podcast. Carlos, thanks again. Final thought here. Any? <sighs> I mean, put me out of my misery, bro. Let's just – can I get one last good game before the season ends? Does Miami, one... get, to, does Miami get to eight wins? Let's end with that. Does Miami get to eight wins? I'll go yes. You're going to say yes with a just bowl win? It, just, you know, screw it. Yes. No, I mean, they'll win – let's say they beat Louisville and Boston College. Wow, you're calling for both of those. Okay, I'm I, not afraid I, of the Garden Snake, bro. All right. Okay. I, I say Miami finishes 7-5 and five as I predicted, and we'll see what happens with the bowl game and who actually plays in it. I think that, that, that's going to be... 
I said eight and four before the season started. I'm selfishly, I needed them to pull this I, I gotcha. I gotcha. I feel you. All right. Thanks for watching this week's episode. We will talk to you soon. Peace. Thank you.